Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome to hour number two of the expanded Inside Sources. Great to be with you from one to three every weekday here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, and it's time as we begin the top of the hours. We do every hour for all of us to dig a little deeper, think a little bigger, challenge our assumptions a little stronger, and of course, when necessary, disagree just a little bit better. So let's begin. Think you know the news of the day? Think again. So, of course, uh, the news overnight that uh, Utah has ended its uh, COVID-19 health order, having met the benchmarks required for that. Uh, The question now, of course, the deeper question, the things we should think again are what lessons can we learn from the past year and how do we actually move forward in a positive way? Uh, Very pleased to be joined by Ethan uh, Blevins on the line with us. He's an attorney working uh, in the Pacific Legal Foundation, Free Speech, Property Rights, and Separation of Powers Practice Groups. And uh, Ethan, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to help uh, everyone kind of look at some of the potential lessons out of this. Um, of course, you've uh, been critical of, of many of the, the mandates and restrictions uh, over the, the past year. Uh, but I want to kind of transcend all of that and look at, OK, what did we what did we really learn? And then how do we use these uh, to protect a whole host of, of liberties and freedoms moving forward? Sure. So I think there are so many lessons. Uh, it's hard to count them, but I think a big one, um, and one I think that Utah experienced, is that uh, sometimes emergency powers can get out of hand, right? We are suddenly struck with an emergency we didn't anticipate, uh, one that really no, no generation currently alive has experienced. Right. And we weren't, uh, I think, uh, legally, uh, as a matter of policy, we just didn't know quite how to deal with that. And we had um, a governor, I think, was in good faith trying to do his best. Um, but in my opinion, in the opinion of many other um, legal commentators, thought that he exceeded the authority he actually had under the emergency powers laws and under the Utah Constitution. And so one lesson I think we can learn, I think the legislature is starting to learn, is we need to figure out in advance how to limit and define those powers so that uh, we know that the legislature remains in the driver's seat. They're the ones that create the laws of governance. The governor is not supposed to be the one doing that. And so we actually did have uh, legislation passed recently that I think does improve that. It 
establishes things like um, clearer sunset periods for emergency orders, um, the ability of the legislature to step in and end an emergency order if they disagree with it or if they think it's no longer um, important to keep it in place. So that's an important improvement, and I think that we will see that legislation making a difference uh, should we face a similar predicament in the future. Yeah, I, I think one of the things we all have to be Cautious, and I, I think you pointed out right. I think everyone was trying to do their best in a uh, in a novel. Uh, we always forget the novel part of the coronavirus. I think uh, everything was uh, people were learning on the fly, uh, but often those emergency powers uh, just become powers. And uh, so I think you're you're right to point out the fact that we we have to be very careful. Uh, I love the idea of ensuring that we have really strong sunset provisions in terms of. Uh, those declarations of emergency power, when they come in, when they start, how long they can last, and and when the legislatures, you said, uh, can actually step in and say, wait a minute, we we think that's exceeded uh, what what should be done. Right, and you know we did have some of that previously, technically, but it was all it was sort of a, a thin guarantee, right? So the governor. Uh, if he promulgates some kind of emergency order, it's technically only supposed to last for 30 days. But what he did, and I think governors across the country did, because they were obviously trying to deal with, grapple with a serious situation, is they would just re-extend it after that 30-day period is over, which I, I think everybody watch, watching that uh, from a policy perspective said, well, then it's really not a sunset, right? right? We can just renew it indefinitely. And so one of the things that the legislature has done now and said, you know what, you can't, you can't renew the same thing or substantially the same thing unless there are exigent circumstances or unless the legislature has, by joint resolution, approved that. And so I think that is a helpful change to make sure that that isn't just a technicality that the governor can easily override. Yeah, so important. Uh, as you were going through that, I, I kind of had to chuckle and say, yeah, if it's if it, it a uh, sunrise, sunset, sunrise, <laughs> and you you just keep rolling forward, uh, that's that's not quite the uh, the spirit of, of it there. Uh, so give us just one more uh, thing in terms of what do we learn uh, going for, forward? You know, what are, the, what are the other lessons that we should take with us uh, when we face another situation, whether it's a pandemic or a natural disaster or something else that happens in the country uh, or in the state of Utah? Uh, what do we need to be careful of uh, in terms of our civil liberties in particular? Well, it's a great question, and I think that we have learned once again that uh, the governments, you know, again, often good faith, sometimes not will never let a, an emergency go to waste, right? So um, we saw um, we saw governments slipping in sort of this wish list of things they've wanted to do for a long time that are unrelated to the emergency that they're getting uh, passed and done, especially, I, I think, on the West Coast, where, where I do most of my work. And I think that one concern that we need to be really wary of, as I, I believe you mentioned before, that the powers that are exercised during the emergency don't kind of just stick around and become the norm. Um, it's like my kids are always, you know, stretching out their shirts by putting their knees under the shirt. And I said, you're going to ruin your shirt. It's, it, you can't just take that back. It's going to be loose forever. And, and that's the same sort of problem we might deal with here. We loosen the standards by which the governor or a county executive uh, governs us because we want them to be able to deal with the emergency. Well, it's really important once that emergency is over, we're clear about withdrawing those powers. They can't just continue to sort of govern by edict anymore. And I think that's why it's really important to have clear emergency powers laws. It's important that we uh, recognize that 
constitutional and civil rights remain in place during emergencies. In fact, they're really designed yeah. for emergencies so that when the, when the public panics, um, we have a barrier that they can't cross. Mm-hmm. And so we need to uh, have courts that are willing to uphold those constitutional rights, even in the face of a pandemic. Uh, fantastic. And, and uh, Ethan, I want to uh, I want to be the first one to read the bill, the two knees under the shirt bill. <laughs> I, <laughs> I expect that to be the name of the, uh, the next one. That is a great example because uh, I've had my own kids uh, and grandkids now that are doing that same thing. It's the two knees under the T-shirt and the T-shirt is never quite the same. Uh, so that might be a good name. You know, The naming of these bills is always so important. So <laughs> we'll, we'll count on you for that one. All right. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Again, that's uh, Ethan Blevins. Great insight uh, from the Pacific Legal, Legal Foundation. In terms of emergency powers, uh, when do they come into play? How do you sunset those? How do you make sure that emergency powers don't just become powers? Uh, and then right at the end there, Ethan said something else that really struck me, uh, and that is that often in an emergency, it's the old uh, Rahm Emanuel from uh, during the uh, – uh, Barack Obama presidency saying you never let a good crisis go to waste. Uh, and sometimes what happens with those emergency powers or that emergency spending uh, that suddenly you're you're doing things that have nothing to do with whatever the emergency is, uh, but you're slipping in things about tax policy or redistricting policy or whatever it may be. Uh, but often that is what happens. And so making sure there's some very clear fences around what that means and what can be done under those emergency powers. Having that balance is vital on the state level and absolutely critical on the federal level as well. We're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, Alan Matheson's going to join us, Point of the Mountain State Land Authority Executive. We're going to talk about what's going to happen out at the old prison site, the redevelopment plan coming up next. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 